praise God. I'm a little out of breath. So just to help me out a little bit, lift your hands and praise the Lord while I get my breath. Would you do that? Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we love you so much. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Praise God. Praise God. I had a telephone call and I just ran over there and I didn't realize it was that late and I was talking on the phone and I said, oh, i got to go. It's past time for me to speak. And I heard everybody praising the Lord and I came in and Sister Grant was ready to come up here and speak in my stead. Brother Sister Travis told us you had to do that. <laughs> she wiped her brow and said, God just answers prayer. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Now, I have one hour... And I do have quite a few things that I want to say. I feel that after the service last night, God began to speak to me. I saw a good number of people come up to pray last night, and I saw many of these people not relaxing in the Lord. They were struggling. Uh, Brother Travis preached such a marvelous message. Talked to us about faith. and uh, I could just tell by the look... Uh, the countenance of several people that uh, they were having problems. So I went, uh, we went out to eat and got back and it was pretty late. And I still felt this on my soul and I told my wife I just can't go to bed right now. So I spent quite a bit of time just thinking about uh, the situation and praying about it. What I'd like to do is talk to you this morning on the subject, Condemnation, a Killer of Faith. Now, I am not going to cover all of the aspects of condemnation nor all the situations that would bring condemnation to you. But uh, in my viewing of the need that we have in our world, I left out just as you started taking some pledges to build this church, $1,500 that was needed. I am uh, coming to the conclusion that the American lifestyle diametrically opposes the lifestyle of the Bible. And that there are some situations that become very difficult for us to, to cope with because we're taught, for the most part, to be a little bit too independent and not as loving and caring as what we ought to. So this will be a, a pretty hard pill for some of you to swallow. Uh, like I say, we're not going to try to cover all the aspects of condemnation. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 8, and then James, the second chapter, and I'll try to read these and let you be seated, and we'll just continue. I am really enjoying this camp meeting. There is such a relaxed atmosphere here. Brother Connor's, uh, Brother Connor's leadership is, uh, I appreciate it a lot because when you're around him, he's just, just himself. You can tell he's relaxed and he wants to be cordial and he is and, and wants you to be taken care of and he does do that. But at the same time, you know, not, Put everything on to the point that you feel stressed and you feel like you're being entertained. 
This is a camp meeting. Let's just make it camp and enjoy it. So I appreciate that, Brother Connor, so very much. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then James, the second chapter. I would like to read verse 19 and 20. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now I understand when you come up for prayer as you did last evening, God is not expecting a lot of you other than just you to believe him at that point in time. But I also understand that there are some principles in the Scripture that you cannot defy and have faith on the spur of the moment. Spirituality, as far as I can see, is the totality of God touching the totality of man. That's all of God touching all of you. Now you may be seated. Notice James says those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, that these people live in the state in which there is no condemnation. Now, I said that spirituality was all of God touching all of you. Turn with me to Matthew, the 20th chapter, and we want to read, verse. start with verse 20. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink? of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, they say unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give but it shall be given to them of whom it is prepared of my Father. Now the baptism that I wanted to talk about just for a moment is something that is extremely important for you to understand. When you made your trip to the altar and the Lord filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, to a lot of Pentecostal people, the baptism of the Holy Ghost that they received is no more than just a tinkling sensation that allows them to feel high in the spirit momentarily. And that's a wonderful feeling, a wonderful feeling. When I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I danced in the aisles. I picked one brother up and danced with him. I shouted for a long time. I had a stomach ulcer. I weighed less than 120 pounds, if your imagination will allow you to go that far. I was a dying man, and the Lord filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I read in the Bible 
that Jesus came to make me whole. And I thought that meant both body and soul. And I believed it. And I accepted it. Now certainly the Lord did not, did not fill me with the Holy Ghost predicated upon good works that I had done. Because I didn't have any of those things. But I also know that as I began to walk with God, that God began to deal with me about certain things. And I realized in just a very short while after receiving the Holy Ghost that the Holy Ghost was like a marriage. That when you marry someone, when the preacher stands up and says, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, it can get worse instead of better, and it can bring about poverty instead of riches. Because it means the giving of oneself to another without reservation. And what Jesus was, was saying is, well, let me say this before I go any further. I believe that Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost embodied. I believe that if John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, we should not dare say less of Jesus. I do not personally ascribe to the thought that some men have that Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Ghost when he was baptized of John at the river of Jordan. I do believe that something special happened to Jesus Christ when he started his earthly ministry. I believe the anointing of God rested upon him to preach the gospel. But I believe that Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost embodied. Now, basically what I'm saying is this. That in my careful study of the Bible, I find that God is described very vividly in the New Testament. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. That's what God is. If you want to look at uh, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, you look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is peace. He was the Prince of Peace. It's joy. It's uh, long-suffering. It's gentleness. It's meekness. It's kindness. It's love. Uh, that's what Jesus Christ is. So the fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. The power of God is found in the gifts of the Spirit. And the authority of God is found uh, in type, uh, I say in type, is found resident in the ministry today. He has given His authority in the ministry today by the uh, particular ministries prescribed in the book of Ephesians, uh, pastors, evangelists, uh, prophets, and so forth. That what we commonly call the fivefold ministry. Now, when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, the problem with a lot of people is they try to get from God what they want and use it, and what they don't want, they, they try to cast it aside. So, to a lot of people, the Holy Ghost is no more than an electrifying spirit that makes them dance around, and for this reason, then, they just kind of float from service to service, and that's all they ever do. Now, if you were to come to our church in Madison, you'd find that we do indeed have a very lively group of people. Uh, in fact, sometimes I get real concerned that we have some people that are so wild. Uh, not that I go around trying to stop them, but I get a little bit concerned about it sometimes because 
we have some very lively uh, people. But uh, there is more to God than, than just a good feeling that makes you dance in the Spirit. Well, that is extremely important that we feel His Holy Spirit. You see, basically, when we, when we accept the Holy Spirit, we accept everything that God was or is. That's what is resonant in our life. So you can't just take a certain part of God and say, Well, this is the part that I think that I'm going to enjoy. And then say, well, here's another part that I don't particularly like. It's like a marriage, I said. Do you marry a wife? Uh, uh, but you've got all of her. And, and that's just the way it is. And uh, there's going to be things about your wife that you just really appreciate and you really love. There's going to be other things that, that uh, they don't go over too good with you. And uh, that's why the preacher said, for better or worse, Brother Hudson. You know? Uh, not making a reference to your marriage, please understand, you know. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, <clears throat> but but that's the way it is. So, so spirituality, I think, is ex- as uh, explained in the Bible by the number of times that it's spoken of, is, it, it's really all of God, all of the Holy Ghost touching all of man, body, soul, and spirit. In other words... Uh, when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, that love that he had for Jerusalem, uh, it's going to be resident in you when you receive the Holy Ghost. You may not go and be an evangelist to Jerusalem, but you're going to be an evangelist to somebody. And this is the only way that God has to get his love to us. Now, I want to just uh, uh, leave this subject just momentarily about love and come back to it and And we're going to talk about another situation in which uh, condemnation can come uh, in in so many various forms. Uh, We will not describe all of them, but uh, a situation that's found in the Bible in which I think that that the church can deal with the situation. So let's turn to James, the fifth chapter, where we talk about the laying on of hands and praying for the sick. Now, I'm not trying to bring some kind of a new revelation to this particular subject, but uh, I have given a lot of thought to this, and I've searched it out in the Scripture, and I think that any of you ministers who would uh, would dare question this, if you'd, if you'd just spend a little time looking in the Scripture, you'd probably come to the same conclusion that I have personally come to. However, if you're a saint of God, and, and your pastor tells you, well, I think Brother Grant was wrong in this, well, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I've been told I was wrong before, and I don't mind... People disagreeing with me. Now, in the Old Testament, the word faith is quite often used um, in the word trust. The word trust is found so many times in the Old Testament. It's interchangeable with the word faith in the New Testament. When we incorporate the word word trust, we basically, uh, we get away from what I would call just a mental uh, picture of something that that should happen or that is supposed to happen. But the word trust kind of incorporates the feeling that, that you, it, it's total submission in the hands of God. In other words, I just put my whole life right now in your hands, O oh Lord. You'll find people who came to Jesus that uh, many occasions, on many occasions, this is what they did. Uh, uh, they just simply thrust themselves at Jesus and they said, Here I am. Now God, if you don't do this, uh, you know, I, 
I'm at your mercy, in other words, here. I, I'm believing in you. I'm, I'm trusting in you. It was more than just a, a concept of the mind. It was more than rising up, telling yourself 500 times, I believe, until you bear it into your subconscious mind. It was, it was really more than that. It was a, it was a total giving of oneself uh, to God. Now, let's take a look at James, the fifth chapter, when he talks about uh, praying uh, for the sick. Um We'll start reading at verse verse 10. Uh, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by the other, by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. I think what uh, he's saying here is that, that there are certain things that are settled in your heart, and you don't need a, uh, a whole lot of adjectives, adjectives to prove your point. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, some people would say, I- I'll swear to this, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles of... Uh, a hundred foot tall. He said, now you don't need all that if you're sure of what you believe. You just simply make the statement. Uh, and in and, and our Pentecostal vernacular, we use the term, I'll bet a lot. You know, we say, well, I'll bet you. In the world, they say, I'll bet you $50. You know, we just say, I'll bet. We leave off the, the amount of the wager. But <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? We, we try to, in other words, we're just trying to prove our point. And James says, now wait just a minute. He said, there, is a, there are certain things that are settled in your heart. And he said, uh, you need to be convinced of it. You don't need to do all of this other stuff. He said, lest you fall into condemnation. Now remember this, this particular phrase, lest you fall into condemnation. Because at the very end of this message, I'll be dealing with this again. He says, now is any among you afflicted? He said, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I will stop there, and we'll consider the other part a little bit later on. But... uh, Basically, when you look at the New Testament, uh, this is the, the place in the New Testament that, that is, uh, we find that we are to take oil and anoint and pray for the sick. Now, in the New Testament, they prayed for the sick throughout the New Testament. We just don't have the instructions given that we are to anoint with oil. When Jesus gave the, the uh, uh, Great Commission... In the book of Mark, uh, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. But he does not say that you should take and uh, anoint with oil. Now, basically what I think that James is saying here is that uh, you'll have somebody that that has, has an affliction, somebody that is sick, and uh, it, it's kind of a chronic situation. In other words, um, 
just like we had our prayer line last night. Now, I'm not saying there would have been anything wrong with us taking a bottle of oil and going out and anointing all of these people. I'm saying that it is not necessary in, in every case. Uh, of course, if, if it were necessary, and I, I think you quickly agree, then we were all out of order last night because we didn't, we didn't lay hands on them, anointing with, them with oil. And many people were healed last night. They were healed because Brother Travis took the word of the Lord and God sent forth that word and there was faith that came into your heart and, and you realized that you had a sickness and something that was bothering you. You jumped up, you came down, we prayed for you, and God healed you. Now, uh, in many cases, people come for prayer and, and they don't get healed. And, and we just don't know why they don't get healed. Uh, James uses the word condemnation. Could it be that that maybe there's a form of condemnation that's come upon the individual that's killed his faith where he just can't believe? Now, the important thing about calling for the elders is that uh, uh, sometimes you're so sick that you can't even hardly think, let alone have faith, but, but you believe in the structure of the church and you believe in the validity of the Scripture. And these men of God who come and gather around you and stand in Christ's stead and anoint you with oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Ghost, and the stretching forth of the hand is a symbol of God's hand stretching forth upon you. That and that alone is a faith builder to you. So these people can emit faith to you. They can give you faith. And you feel that faith as it comes. And when, when you feel their faith, when you feel their faith, there's just something about your faith that rises up. Also, but uh, in this particular situation, let's say that the elders anoint you with oil and you're still not healed. Now, I personally think that, that some people are not healed because they live under condemnation, and the condemnation that's spoken of in the scripture here is a very broad uh, term. In other words, it covers so many things. He is actually saying that. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Now notice what it says. And if he have committed sins. In other words, maybe a person's been coming down to the altar for prayer for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they haven't been healed. And for some reason, they just don't know why. Uh, and so the elders are together around and lay hands upon him. It's at this time that the elders should, should exercise their prerogative of discerning what is the problem. In other words, if this sister has not been healed, so we are we are opening ourselves up. Now, this this can be a, quite a, an alarming and shocking thing, and maybe so alarming and shocking that it might uh, cause some of you to hesitate to even submit yourselves in the hands of the ministry. But when you submit yourselves in the hands of the ministry, the ministry then should exercise that God-given privilege or prerogative to discern. What is wrong with you? In other words, uh, maybe you have been doing something that, that's not right. Maybe you're living under condemnation. Now notice the Bible doesn't say that is in every case the situation. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, and if they have committed sins. It talks about Job. Now, you couldn't touch Job. Job was a perfect man. The Bible says it. And you know, you can't get much better than that. You just can't get much better than that. So the Bible speaks of Job, but then it also speaks of people who do live under condemnation. And so they come down and they have prayed 
The condemnation is a killer of faith, and you, you can just try and try, and you say, Oh God, I'm, I'm trying my best to have faith. This is when the countenance, of the brow gets wrinkled, and, and you can see it. The book of Proverbs speaks of the importance of the countenance, that the countenance actually displays uh, uh, the, the, the attitude and the situation of the heart. And so when we as ministers see that somebody is locked up and tied up and, and something's wrong, uh, we should uh, ask God to, to help us to help that individual. Now let me give you a situation that happened in our church a uh, lady came down to our to the altar and, and she had missed two weeks of work and I had no reason to believe that anything was wrong. Uh, she had been prayed for several times, had not been healed. She was just coughing and running a fever and a lot of things. But, but that night when she came down and I lay hands on her, uh, she said, I just don't know why I can't be, be healed. And, and just like the Lord spoke to me and said... Yeah, she does know why. You know, and so I went ahead and, and uh, I lay hands on her. And, and as I began to pray, the Lord spoke to me. So now I wasn't going to embarrass this sister. I just don't believe that it ought to be done that way. And so what I did was I just uh, I, I stopped praying and I leaned over and I said, uh, let me ask you something. Her name was Julie. I said, Julie, I said, uh, uh, you said that you... Uh, uh, didn't know why you couldn't be healed, but uh, I, I think you really do. And and the Lord just just revealed to me her problem. I said, "Isn't it true that that you've been cutting your hair?" <laughs> and you know she had her hair all up, and you you couldn't see that she'd been cutting her hair. And uh, well, she began to weep and cry. You never seen anybody sob like she sobbed. And she began to confess. She said, "Oh, brother Grant, I'm sorry." She said, "You know." I felt even when I came down here tonight that God was going to show you that. She said, I've been living under such condemnation. And she said, you know, that I am, I am sick. Now, you know, a man who's not sick, the Bible says the spirit of a man shall sustain him in his infirmity. That's what kept Job going because he wasn't under condemnation as a result of his sickness. That's what kept him going. That's what kept his faith alive in God. You know, the Bible says the trying of your patience worketh faith. The Bible doesn't say the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's just the opposite of what we might think. The Bible says the trying of your patience worketh faith. And so uh, she began to sob and weep, and she confessed that. Do you know what happened? I lay hands on her again. God healed her. She got up the next morning, and she went to her job, and she was completely restored. Completely restored. See, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That there is such a thing as condemnation resting upon us. And that's exactly what he is saying. He said, now if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Not everybody has committed sins. You know, the ministry, as the ministry lays hands on you and prays for you, and you've had this chronic uh, problem for a long time, it may be that you're going through a Job-type trial. And you may not even know why, and they may not even know why, but they encourage you to keep on being patient. And the trying of your patience is going to bring about faith so that you can be healed. Also, it just might be that it's, it's one of those situations where maybe it's time for you to die. Now see, 
people don't like to, to, to reckon with this thought, but, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. You know, we all want to go in the rapture. <laughs> now, we laugh about it, but I remember a, a lady in our church that, you know, she'd go in the hospital, we'd go down there and we'd pray for her, and we'd fast and pray. This woman was 87 years old. I mean, she was not just a young lady. And she'd get up out of the hospital and she'd come back home and she'd be sick and she'd go back in the hospital and we'd pray and they say, oh, she's going to die now. And we just kept on praying for Grandma Baldwin. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. My wife and I were down uh, praying one day and I said, you know, I think we're I think we're wrong in doing this. I think it's our prayers that's keeping her alive, but God really wants to take her. Now maybe maybe you've had situations like that before. I'm not trying to to kill your faith. I'm not trying to say that everybody that gets sick you should try to determine whether it's their time to go or not. I mean I don't want people doing that when they're praying for me, but 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 on the other hand on the other hand there there will be a time when these mortal hands will stop. There will be no more pulsation and I will rest at ease in God. And we prayed her out of the hospital and she'd go back and we'd pray her back out and she'd go back. A year or two, Brother Connor, this happened. And I was done praying. I said, I want to go visit her. She was at home. I got to her house. She couldn't even get up off the sofa. There was a lady helping take care of her and she invited us in. And finally as we began to talk to her, she got up enough strength and I asked her, I said, Grandma Bowen, I said, uh, we prayed for you and we sought the Lord for you and you've lived a rich life in God. Sister Elaine Moe knows this, this, this sister, knew her. Uh, sister Elaine was from our church in, in Madison. We, uh, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say this, but I, I told her, I said, do, do you think that maybe the Lord wants to take, take you home? You know what she said? She said, you know, she said, really, I, I've lived a, a good life for the Lord. And she said, I determined... After I got out of the hospital and came home this time that I'm packing my bag, so to speak, spiritually, to go home to be with Jesus. And uh, she said, you know what I'd like for you to do? I'd like for you to go to the church, go before the church. And I'd like for you uh, to, to ask the people not to pray for my healing anymore. That Just pray that the will of the Lord be done. That, that Grandma Baldwin feels it's time to go home to be with Jesus. You know, I've never preached a funeral in my life, but I felt such great comfort and ease in. Did you know that a day or two later she went in the hospital, slipped into a coma, and passed on to be with the Lord? See, we just we finally resigned to the fact that some people do die, and she's lived a rich, full life to be with the Lord. And we discern that in, in laying hands on her and praying for her. Now, there is an area that deals with, with our care and love for each other that I want to get into that I think will bring condemnation about as fast as anything. If you turn with me to James, the second chapter, verse 2, or chapter 2, pardon me, verse 14. James 2, verse 14. <clears throat> The Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, The man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show 
that you might faith by my works. Now, we want apostolic results. But what I'm seeing that a lot of people are feeling that, you know, just like when we pray over somebody in Jesus' name, we say in Jesus' name, and we feel that there's some kind of magic in the name. Needless to say, I have, along with you, prayed for a lot of people in Jesus' name that did not get healed. You know, there's no doubt about it. I think Jesus had problems, as Brother Travis explained, when he went to to Nazareth because of their unbelief. There were people that no doubt came to the city that that wanted to be healed, but they went away and they weren't healed. They just couldn't do any great works because of their unbelief. But basically what we're saying is that you just can't take J-E-S-U-S and just throw it out there kind of in a, in a blanket broadcasting form and, and see great signs and miracles without a life that is totally given and surrendered to God. Uh, we want apostolic results, but sometimes we're not willing to, to render apostolic living. See, and I think that this is what James is talking about. So, uh, Brother Dave Murray, come up here. You, you're just going to help me here. I appreciate Brother Dave. I baptized Brother Dave, I don't know how many years ago in Madison, but about three years ago in Madison. Let's sit down right here. Uh, you see this man, now this man's lost his job. He doesn't have any income now, and all of his unemployment compensation has run out. And uh, he comes to church, he's sitting on the front bench, and everybody's just shouting the victory, and they're telling about how God has blessed me. Oh, you can't believe how God's blessed me. And they give all of these miraculous stories. Now here is a situation that's totally adverse to what you're feeling, because you're feeling that... You know, God's just going to supply everybody's need because look how he gave me this new car. I prayed or whatever, you know. Here's a man that, he, I mean, he, he is, he's down. So I detect that his spirit is very, very low. His countenance is bad. I go up to him and I say, what's wrong, Brother Day? And he says, well, Brother Grant, I just lost my job. And uh, he said, of course, I lost it some time ago. And uh, uh, things weren't so good at that time when I lost uh, my job and, and uh, he said, unemployment compensation's run out, and I really don't know where the next meal's coming from. He said, you know, I know that everybody's dancing in the Spirit and feeling good, but, you know, I want to have faith in God. But I'm just low tonight. I just, I just, and so I look at him, and I, I say, well, don't you worry about it. You know how God supplied my need. He said, yeah, I heard your testimony. It was fantastic. Now, don't you worry about it, Brother Day. God's going to take care of you. I wouldn't lose one bit of sleep over this if I were you. Man, I'd put my faith in God. So I shake his hand, and I said, you and I will just be prayer partners in this thing. God's going to bring you out of that, okay? And so I send him on his way. James says, now what good did that do? That's what he's saying. That's what he's... That's, that's exactly what he's saying. He said, now what good did that do? See? Now, <clears throat> the situation is that I had a miracle, but see, I can't just live on that miracle. Every man that walks on God's green earth is in need of God's divine assistance. Now, I could have helped him, but I didn't. 
And I told him, God will supply your need. But I didn't have enough faith, see, to take from my wallet and give to him because I didn't, I didn't have that kind of faith, see. But I'm trying to encourage him to have faith. Now, there is nothing that will bring condemnation upon an individual faster than ignoring the needs of others. Now, let me, let me explain the reason why that I think that I'm right on in this explanation of the Scripture. Turn with me to John, 1 John, the third chapter. And let's take a look at this. 1 John, the third chapter. Let's look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now I want you to keep your finger right here at 1 John 3. And I want to take you to another portion of the Scripture. We don't want to read any more, but we want to deviate just a little bit from this and come back to it. There's another Scripture in the Bible that's very, very similar to this. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now John 3.16 is very similar to 1 John 3.16 because it talks about how logical God is. God is so logical. He says, now, if I lay down my life for you, don't you think that you ought to be willing to, to lay down your life for the brethren? See, that's how logical God is. Now, remember, I said spirituality is all this Holy Ghost touching all of me. So I want to take this Holy Ghost that makes me feel real good when the choir is singing. But I don't want to take this Holy Ghost that sends me to somebody's house with a few dollars out of my wallet or savings account. I don't want to do that, see. Now, if you want to know something about the divine nature of God, let's turn back to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, keep your finger right here at 1 John 3.16 because we're going to quickly come back to it. don't have a lot of time left this morning, but I do want to cover this as thoroughly as possible. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 37. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now you remember James says, in James, the fifth chapter, verse 12, that's how he started off when he talked about laying on the hands of the sick. Except he said, you'll be brought under condemnation. Jesus said, if you do more than this, evil will come. Now notice... He starts to define something here. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man shall sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now, let me just stop right here and put something in before I forget it. Every time preachers have to do this, even though it might not fit right where you want it, you've got to say it before you forget it. Now, Jesus is talking about our relationship with our enemy. Do you know the truth? 
Most of the people that I'm acquainted with will not treat their brother with the respect that God wants you to treat your enemy with. Now, I told you this is going to be a pretty big pill to swallow. All right? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And we stop right there. And let's turn to John, the 8th chapter, and let's just look at something that Jesus told the Pharisees, the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. Jesus was was reasoning with the Pharisees. They claimed to be Abraham's children. They said, we have never been in bondage to anyone. Jesus said, oh, he said, if you were Abraham's children, verse 39 of John 8, then you would do the works of Abraham. Notice what he says in verse 44. Year of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will you do. He is a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar, and he is the father of it. Now notice, Jesus told the Pharisees, He said, you claim to be Abraham's children. He said, not so. If you're Abraham's children, you do the works of Abraham. Now Jesus told us, this is what we ought to do. If a man will smite thee on thy right cheek, turn the other also. If he chooses to take away your coat, give him your cloak. If he asks you to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to every man that would ask of thee, and from him that would borrow from thee, turn thou not away. He said we should love our enemies. That's what he said. Now why should we do all this? Verse 45. Now notice what he says. That's going to get real quiet here, but look at this that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. In other words, you do all this because that is the nature of God. That's the Holy Ghost that you have in you. That's the baptism of Christ that's in you. And that's why you act like this to your enemies. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now notice the line of logic that Jesus proceeds with. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Didn't Titus say the grace of God that worketh salvation hath appeared unto all men? For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now we can't be perfect in every aspect like God is. But when it comes in our relationship to other people, He's saying, Try your dead level best to be like God was or is. Now you see, there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now let's go back to John 3, 16. 1 John 3, 16. Alright, hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, so ought we to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth this brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, 
Now notice, there are ways in which you can know. And we shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now he says our heart condemns us. Brother Dave, you've got to come back up here. We're going to give you a good workout. So you and I, we're down praying at the altar this time. And here I am down praying with this brother. Now this is the same brother I'm saying that was in the book of James. He's lost his job. He doesn't have anything. I said, oh God of heaven. We want you, Lord, to meet his needs. You know about his children, Lord. You know about his household. What about that car note? What about the rent, oh Lord? No food in the cupboards. The refrigerator has nothing. Oh God of heaven. We want you, Lord Jesus, to meet his need. Now we believe, oh God. We bind our faith. And we even quote scripture. If any two or three touching any one thing uh, in the earth, it shall happen. And we get up and we go away. Now, stay down there. Don't get up there. So, we go away. Now, we had a few things that we could help this brother with, but we didn't help him. And God was dealing with us. We knew he didn't have food. We knew he couldn't pay his rent. We knew all these things, and yet we didn't help him. We leave him at the altar praying, but now we're going to go and we've got to find ourselves a place to pray. And as we begin to pray, we begin to bring our petitions before God. It's at that time then that hard condemnation sets in. Now God is so logical that He uses this several places in the Scripture. I'll only deal with it in this particular instance. If we are so godly and we stand in God's stead on the earth, why wouldn't we act like God would act? In other words, we want God to give this man. We could, but we don't. Do you know what God is really saying? I want everybody to look at me. Look at me. He's saying this. If you had the opportunity to trade places with God, would you do what God does? In this case, He says, I'm giving you that opportunity. And because that you wouldn't act like I act when I gave you the opportunity to stand in my stead, when you get down and you start crying out for your daily food, the heavens are going to be shut up and condemnation is going to rest upon you. I'm not going to answer your prayer. If our hearts condemn us, And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and God keeps bringing it up. We were not acting like God would act. We didn't love like God would love. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. My friend, that doesn't mean God just smeared His love all over you. When it speaks of being spread abroad, that means it comes out your fingertips. It comes out your eyes. It comes out your tongue. It comes out your feet. It sends you to people who are dying and people who are suffering and people who have... Now, you can pray all you want to pray, but you're living under condemnation, and this is why your brow has so many furrows in it. This is why every time there's a home missionary service, you walk away feeling so badly when you didn't give, when these people have needs. You know you could have. We started to build our church in Madison. We couldn't build it. We did everything we could to try to build it. We had saved and saved and saved, and you know... When I began to pray and seek the Lord, these things came to me. I knew of several brothers that were needing buildings, much worse than we needed. I sought the Lord about it in a business meeting. I got up before our people and I said, you know, 
I don't think it's right for us to be praying. I know of too many people that have needs. And, you know, we begin to discuss the Scriptures. I've taught our people all of these things. One brother got up and said, I think we ought to give part of our building fund money away. And after a while, somebody else said so. And somebody else got up and said, I think we ought to give more of it away. And we took case and point of situations where lawsuits were against churches, where people couldn't pay their bills and such. And you know what we did? We ended up giving every penny away that we had. In just a few short months, we sent $69,000 to other people that were suffering and in need. Now, what are we going to do? You say, I can't. Now I can't afford. I can't afford. Listen, if stewardship is practiced properly, there will never be a need that will arise in your life that God will not meet. And would you believe, Brother Hudson, when we went bone dry with our building fund and everything else, we started our building program one year later with all of our land, 16 and a half acres, paid for $150,000 cash in the bank. So I get up from my place of condemnation and I come and I say, Brother, I want you to arise. I've been doing you wrong. And, and I, I give him some, some, some money and I pay his rent for him and I, or whatever I can and I send him on his way. Now then, let's go back. Let's go back. And the Scripture says, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, notice what he says. Look at this very carefully. If our heart condemn us not, verse 21, then we have this confidence toward God that whatsoever we ask we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are right in His sight. So there's no real hocus-pocus in the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters. He's just telling us how to... That, that, that you know, condemnation can kill faith faster than, any, faster than anything. And he said, then we have this confidence that whatsoever we ask of God, He will give to us. Now, isn't it strange that, that we find little situations in the Scripture like this? I just call your... Attention to this. Let's look at Acts the 10th chapter. Here's a man praying for the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost had never been given to any Gentiles. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and he prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius... And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He realized it was the voice of God because he was a praying man. Now notice what the Lord said. He said unto him, Cornelius, thy prayers and thine alms have come up as a memorial before God. We kind of like to overlook that latter part. But God says, Because you have been so congenial and so loving, and you have displayed so much of my character. I'm going to send somebody to your house and they're going to tell you what you need to do to be saved. Isn't that something? It wasn't just prayers alone. And this man is the first recorded Gentile of the Scripture to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, no, we're not trying to make Christian living so complicated that nobody can can live it 
We're just talking about some things that bring condemnation. Matthew, the seventh chapter, and we're concluding here. Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with the measure you met, it shall be met to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? <coughs> There's nothing that will bring condemnation on you faster than judging somebody all the time. Being critical, caustic. Don't like what he said. Don't like what this one said. Jesus said, if you say to your brother, Raka, you're in danger of the council. If you say, thy fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam that is in thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet, and turn again and rend you. Now look look at this. Ask it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? And we usually stop there, but Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't stop there at all. He took this preceding line of logic about, cat, about judgment and such, and our, our relationship with our brother and such, and He connected it with verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, quite frankly, I think what Jesus was saying in this particular case, if you want a life that's free of condemnation, why don't you just treat everybody like you like to be treated yourself? Did you do that? That's what he was saying. If you'll, if you'll treat everybody with the due respect that you are treated with, your faith is going to grow. It's going to mount. You're going to see miracles. You have the assurance then that when you ask, it's going to be given. You have the assurance that when you seek, you're going to find. You have the assurance that when you knock, it's going to be open. Because God's own divine nature is at work in you. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. God, give us a love for each other. Listen, when I see our missionaries go overseas and it takes a year and a half of deputational work and I see our home missionaries struggling, it does something to me. I mean, it really does do something to me. And I believe that if God, if God would come down and deal with us all, and we would let this Holy Ghost 
that we're baptized with. If we will let it rule and reign in our lives, we will see great revival and great prayers answered on an individual basis. God bless you for your time and attention.